Hope you are fueled, charged, and ready for a new set of talks in our new series we're launching today. I have the honor of introducing us to a new uh, kind of five conversations we're going to have um, between now and the end of May. And my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard, and I'm just so glad to be with you today. How wonderful was that cool front that came through? Yeah, man. Anybody? That's right. Anybody reaching for like sweatshirts and sweaters and like, I'm like, man, I should have kept the puffy jacket out. Like, it is cold. 65 is cold. It's refreshing, man. It's refreshing. Well, it is so good to be together. Uh, we just love the joy of seeing the beauty of our community gathering and uh, just thinking about what a what a courageous moment every week during the coffee break, you know, for you to stand up and smile and say hi. That is so necessary. Your willingness to stand up and engage and smile and, and begin to acknowledge that there are people around you is so necessary and such a gift. And we love that you find that bravery within you each week. And um, so we just want to say thanks. You know, we're going to be uh, launching a title of uh, kind of today with Serve Somebody. Serve Somebody. Alan was, uh, we were in the office chatting this week, and he was talking about a Bob Dylan song. You just got to serve somebody. I was glad he knew about that song, because Bob Dylan is awesome, and I, had never, I did not know about that particular one. So we were like YouTubing and looking at lyrics and had a good old time. And, and there's this real opportunity for all of us to be the kind of people that bring the change we want to see in this world. And it's change that comes through service, through humility. It's what Bob shared during communion, so powerful, Philippians 2, that we would have the likeness of Christ in us, that although he was the, the one that was seated high, he made himself low. And so today I'm going to be talking out of the Gospel of Mark, and just some backdrop about Mark's gospel. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 10, so if you brought a Bible, you want to kind of get ready. That's just where we're headed today. But let me just tell you that Mark, there are things happening in the book of Mark. I mean, I was just kind of refreshing myself here looking through. The first 10 chapters all account for at least one miracle in every single chapter. Somebody's getting healed. Thousands are getting fed. People are being sent out. The kingdom of God is on full display. And Jesus is going around, raising people up, sending them out, saying the kingdom is near. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Get in on this. Be a part of this. Wherever you are going, you, you're going to miss out if you keep going that way because there are things happening and Jesus has come to reveal God's heart for humanity, his loving passion. I mean, this is a place where he is engaged with people just verse after verse, chapter after chapter. And we begin to see a God who's not playing, you know, I've said a few times, like cosmic hide and seek, but we begin to see that there is a God who loves so greatly that he comes near. Which, you know, might be a little terrifying <laughs> in some regards, let's just be honest. But it's beautiful. And, and it begins to just kind of break our models for who God might be. It begins to, to make us rethink and begin to look with new eyes at Jesus. And we get to, to kind of this place where Jesus, just if there was a, one phrase for me about Mark as I've been studying and preparing, Jesus lovingly saw people. He just lovingly saw people 
and served them right where they were. Right where they were. The things they were facing, the things they were dealing with. Jesus met them right there and invited the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign, the power, the beauty, the mystery, and the majesty right to where they were. And then he invites us to be a part of that. Invites us to be a part of it. There's going to be a, a map up here behind you. You can kind of place, if you're a visual, this is what it looked like. This is, this is what was just the geography of Jesus in this time. And if you kind of work through the Gospel of Mark, you can see different places that he was, kind of from the northern part of the map, uh, Galilee down to Judea, over, you know, kind of all the way in the top left, kind of by the, the timeline, you see Tyre and kind of Phoenicia. I mean, there were things happening there, and he's just moving and walking, and just everywhere he went, he was inviting God's presence, the kingdom, the rule and reign of God. And I just show you this because if I put a map up of our city, we would be spread out too. You know, there would be some people that was like Friendswood and, and then League City and up in Houston and Missouri City and Pearland and Alvin and, you know, down 35 and, 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 and you know, Pasadena, Deer Park, and we just spread out. And maybe we can begin to catch vision for the reality of Jesus meeting us and us meeting the people where we are. Because there's a lot of people that need to be served and loved. And that's what Jesus was doing. But it never was intended to just be his show. He started raising people up, and he, and he was empowering and, and, and putting in the, in the hearts of early disciples this go mentality, this sent mentality, and this, this invitation to be a part of what he was doing. You know, in the vineyard, one of the things we like to say is everybody gets to play. And this idea that we all have a part in the kingdom of God, using our gifts and our talents and our, our passions and, and really our relational spheres of influence. But you know, it's just not that neat and pretty sometimes. And, and we're going to look to the early disciples and we're going to look at a story today that gives me such hope. <laughs> there is so much hope for me. Because here we are, we're going to pick up Mark in, in chapter 10. And just so you know, I mean, imagine spending, you know, a couple years with Jesus, and you've watched him heal blind people. You've watched him cast out demons. You've watched him take, like, a, a boy's lunch and then feed thousands of people with it. I mean, if you had been there and you had seen it, how many of you go, that would have helped my faith a little bit? You know, my faith eh, probably would have been increasing, right? So listen to this, Mark 10, because I'll just tell you, the disciples saw it. They were there. They participated. Their faith was uh, struggling sometimes. So if you're here today and you're struggling through your faith journey, just you're in great company, right? You were in, in good company of people who were there. They saw it. They witnessed it with their own eyes and still were struggling to fully understand. So here we go. Mark 10, starting in 35, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I relate to that. Just, just front and center. I think I've prayed that prayer before. I don't know about you. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. That's kind of like... Anybody picking up what's happening here? <laughs> so here, let me, let me, I'm going to back us up just a little bit. 
Because right before 35, listen to what Jesus says. This is verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. So a lot of, like, confusion, a fear, astonishment, all these things going on um, because he's just been preaching on some hard things leading up to this. And then it says that again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Mark 10, 32 through 34, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection for the third time to his disciples. So now for the third time, they are hearing what awaits Jesus, the most cruel of death, the most weighty of all times, the ultimate surrender of will to the, to the obedience of God the Father who loved him, was working fully through that for victory, for overcoming, for hope, for life. For the third time, he's with his best friend saying, I'm about to be crucified. And then James and John are like, hey, can I get a good seat? <laughs> Hey, will you, will you, like, take care of us real quick? Can we be in your glory, like, right and left? Can you feel the timing of this? Can you kind of put yourself in the story? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Got this. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now imagine the other 10, right? They're listening. They're going, what? Fellas, get in line. You're not the real deal. Like, that's, why didn't I think to ask about that? Like, you jerk. Man, look at you trying to get the good seats, sneaking in there after he just told us he was going to die. We were kind of worried about Jesus. We were thinking, man, this is going to be pretty heavy on you. We're, we're going to be there if we got your back. And then they, like, snuck in and asked first, right? It's kind of like first dibs. They were indignant. They were like, what are y'all doing? And I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just miss it. I just am so caught up in what I've got going on and what's in front of me and what I want and what I don't want. I can sometimes miss it. And yet Jesus is faithful in this conversation and for me. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
just in the midst of this, like you got two guys asking for thrones and glory and they're like sweet seats and then the 10 get frustrated and they're indignant. Jesus just pulls them all together and begins to declare truth that anchors them to something different than they've known. He goes, look at the culture around you. Look at how they lord it over in this, this improper use of authority and this improper use of leadership and this, this exercise of power that's oppressive and these relationships that are broken. He says, look at the kingdom and look at me because in the kingdom of God, and here's the big idea for the day, the kingdom of God calls us to serve, not be served. See, we can look around at the culture and what we know and the, where you work and the way your family's operated for years and generations and the way your family operates now and the friendships you have and, you know, the way there's kind of the hierarchies in school and, and this group and that group and who has power and authority. And, and Jesus just cuts through all of that. He says, in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, we are called to serve not be served. And he begins to set a new identity deep, deep within our hearts. Because there's this thing in our culture that's always young, it's just kind of like tugging at my heart. I'll just talk about me. You just kind of see what maybe fits for you. But it's this longing in me for greatness. And our culture like just catapults it, right? Like social media, how many likes do you have? How many friends do you have? What's this? What's that? You know, what's your position at work? Are you on the promotion track? Are you producing? Are you making it happen? You know, if you're an athlete, where do you stand? If you're a student, where are you in your class? What's your class rank? And it's greatness and fame and push and push and push. Yet in the kingdom, Jesus says, greatness is displayed when you will lay your life down with humility and grace and a view of others that is from only the one who can give it. And we begin to see the collision of the kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness and this battle, this battle that wages to serve somebody, to serve somebody. You know, one of the heartbeats of the Vineyard Church here that's just, I think, the heartbeat of Jesus and his church globally is that we can declare the love of Jesus by serving those around us. Jesus came to serve. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, did not come to, yeah, to, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When we begin to say yes to this, the kingdom breaks in. The hope and the life of Jesus becomes tangible and near those who need to know that it's real. Love declares itself through serving one another. In Developing the Leader Within You, John Maxwell highlights some interesting research that I've never heard. How many of you are introverts? You're not going to raise your hand. It's okay. <laughs> That's kind of like making you an extrovert all of a sudden. Sociologists tell us that even the most introverted individual will influence 10,000 other people during his or her lifetime. What? Here's the thing. The most self 
self-centered, selfish, self-absorbed person still interacts with so many people day in and day out over the course of a lifetime that everybody is influencing the people around them in some form or fashion. We are all being influenced, and we are all influencing. And, you know, trusting John Maxwell and his sources, because he's highly published and I'm not, and so I just kind of take it for what I was reading. So if you go find that I was wrong, we'll just take it up with John. The, the, the most introverted person will influence 10,000 people. That begins to give us some reference for, for what happens in the kingdom when the love of Jesus takes root of our heart and our life, the impact that it can begin to have. So we just want you to know, this next few weeks, we think there is something for every single person in the conversations we're going to be having. Because we want to be a community that serves one another well. So you'll be served, but also discover how to participate in communities that serve well. Families, different people groups, co-workers, friends, neighbors, strangers. This is where we're headed. So introverts and extroverts alike, men and women, young and younger, this is the invitation of Jesus to live like he lived to welcome things and people where they have need to be glorifying to him in a way that is lived with humility. So let me highlight the tension for you that I see with what we're talking about. When we talk about serve somebody, there is real tension. There is real tension in this conversation. And it's this. I believe that we crave comfort and status. We crave comfort and status. You know, it's set up in the question, you know, the sons of Zebedee said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So even though they were acknowledging they weren't quite as great as Jesus because they were still going to be in his glory, they were looking for the best seats in the house. They wanted comfort and they wanted status through eternity to say, hey, let us get as close as we can get. Let us be there where, where the glory is felt most, you know? We crave comfort and we crave status. I mean, I'll just be honest, I do. I do, and I see it in the most, like, just simple, subtle ways in my life. Like, I love air conditioning. I like to eat out. I like sitting on the beach. And I love snowy mountains. I love places that are beautiful, that are captivating, that are relaxing. I love comfort. I love it. I love being taken care of, like just this, you know, to be served well. It's just so nice. You know, I, I was an athlete back in the day. I liked notoriety. I had, here's what's tricky though. I, I had people believing that I, I was like more humble and I had myself believing that I was more humble than I really was. But I just had to get honest with my own life. Like, I liked kind of being known. And then it's just kind of this pressure that we see, and I'm just going to kind of pick on social media for a second. How many likes do I have? How many people checked my status? How much reach did a post have? Like, these are things that I have to, like, battle against all the time. Because I crave status. I want the things I'm doing to be important and meaningful. I want to, you know, and, and it can just take over. And then I'm unknowingly pushing myself to like, well, maybe I can have a little more glory and a little more glory. We want the good seats. 
You know, my flesh declares, serve me. I'm important. I matter. The craving for comfort and status highlights the spiritual battle that is alive and well in all of us. If there is a reality of the kingdom of God, there is actually a real adversary, a real different kingdom that we could actually be participating in or experience. You know, in the, in the first chapter of, of Mark, they highlight the, the temptation of Jesus, that he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's led by the Spirit out into the desert, and then he, in, he gets encountered and tempted by Satan. So temptation is real. There's a real struggle for all of us. One of the ways that uh, I, I was reading recently that was highlighted, um, some authors of a book called The Leader's Journey were reflecting on some of Henry Nouwen's work. And this is how they break down the temptation. Temptation to be relevant, to turn stones into bread. The temptation to be spectacular, to jump from the pinnacle of the temple. And the temptation to be powerful, compromising in order to have more rule and authority. Comfort status at the hungriest part of his fasting. Hey, just pick up those stones and eat, man. You got it. You can do it. And every time in that battle, Jesus replies with the word of God says, it also says this, the truth of the scriptures. And he comes back again and he leans into the kingdom. He leans into the power of the spirit alive and well within him. Because there is a real pull in my flesh to be served, to crave comfort and status. The enemy plants seeds of deception in us so that we'll pursue our own comfort, notable positions, power that will lord it over. We'll just pursue convenience all the time. That greatness is what we really aspire for. But then we sing a song in worship about the beautiful name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus. And so there's real tension here. There's real tension when we think about serving somebody. And the tension unfolds right inside of my heart and my mind. The tension is within me. In the book, Relationship Principles of Jesus, the author, Tom Holliday, says, Jesus taught us to translate our desire to be significant into a decision to serve. The desire within me to be significant when I come into relationship with Jesus and I live into the gospel of Mark is that that thing inside of me, I will surrender at his feet and say, my desire to be great, I bring to you and I, it becomes a decision to serve. Man, that's good stuff. Because it begins to open my life up to something more than just me. And as we navigate our life, I see God inviting us to experience life aligned with his love, with his goodness, with his mercy, with his greatness. We don't have to pursue our own greatness. We just live into his. We pursue his, and we step out of the tension, and we receive his invitation. Because the invitation from Jesus is to something completely different. We're called to care and serve. We take this craving for comfort and status, and we live into an identity to care and serve others the way Jesus did. As he's talking, he's talking about the, the rulers of the Gentiles, and he says to the disciples, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. 
So this is where humility becomes a real thing. The character of humility within our lives matters in the kingdom. You know, Philippians 2, what Bob highlighted at communion, the humility of Christ, that we would imitate his humility. Again, in relationship principles of Jesus, this is what it says, instead of needing to be noticed by others, you begin to notice others. Instead of needing all of you to notice me, I begin to pray and receive the transforming love of Jesus in my life and in the way I view the world that I would begin to notice you. And that's not about a, a position on staff. That's not about, you know, being at, at a church or this or whatever it might be. That's about being in the kingdom and walking with Jesus. That we would notice others. He goes on to say, you're no longer the sole focus of your soul's attention. You find a refreshing freedom to see, care about, and act on the needs that you see around you. Whew. That is just a tall task. It just is. C.S. Lewis kind of offered a challenging quote in regards to humility. In Mere Christianity, he says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, Sounds like the way he would write and talk. I can, I think, tell him or her the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. In the middle of three boys in my family, kind of the quintessential middle child, peacekeeper, let's make it all, let's keep it all nice, copacetic. And I used to think I was really selfless. I think I really had this freedom. I was like, I'm humble. I, I got lots of humility. If you have to tell yourself that, just, know, just side note. And this summer, I'll celebrate 11 years of marriage to my wife. I got a real pride check when I got married. I just did. I had to begin to acknowledge how much I wanted life to be about me. I used to think I was good at serving people. And we had kids, and that's my story. But your story has moments like that too. If we're going to be a community marked with humility, we have to deal with pride that is alive and well in all of us to greater or lesser degrees. Because the way the world and flesh is self and self-centeredness and it's pride and there are real challenges to pride. There just are. There are real challenges to pride. And so I just want to say like I'm not, like you have to hear me, there's not a judgment in this. There's an invitation that I think is real that if we'll just acknowledge our own stuff, I had to, I have to every day, <laughs> all the time, we begin to see that there is a distinct difference in the kingdom of God and following Jesus than living the other way. That's why he said repent. That's why he said turn. That's why he said follow me. And the distinct difference is he says not so with you. 
You're not going to lord it over people. You're not going to exercise authority that's cumbersome and laborsome and burden-oriented. You are going to serve, and you're going to come beneath, and you're going to build up, and you're going to encourage, and you're going to speak hope, and you're going to speak life, and you're going to see people and say, you matter, and your healing is important, and your life story is important, and I see you, and it matters, and the pain you're in matters to me, and the place you're in matters to me because I'm going to come low, and I'm going to be looking to lift you up. Not so with you. A distinct difference in serving somebody is that you're not looking to increase your power and make yourself greater. You look around and say, how can I use what's been entrusted to me to bless everybody around me? Serve somebody. This is the kingdom. This is so good because when we begin to do this in community, guess what? Let's say, I don't know, there's a hundred some odd people here. If we're all serving somebody, I'm getting served by a hundred people. That is sweet. That's way better than if I just served myself. Because again, I'm not that great. I, I mean, even when I serve myself, I'm looking around looking for everybody else to serve me. But if I can just say yes to the kingdom, the invitation to care and serve, things begin to break loose in me and break free in me. The only way to be cured of the need to be noticed is to start noticing other people's needs. You've got to get beyond yourself. And that is just so hard. It's so hard. But not so with you. And can I just say, if you're here today and you're going, man, okay, Kurt, you're just being, you're being kind of mean today. <laughs> like this is me mean, I guess, I don't know, in my own judgment of self. Just go back to the text. These, these guys who had spent, you know, years watching Jesus heal and heal and heal, and then he's told them three times now, I'm going to die, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to rise again. They're still going, give me the good seat. Like, this was the struggle in the people closest to Jesus. And he pulls them together and he goes, hey, hey, I love you. This is how the culture does it. Don't buy into that. Don't say yes to that. Say yes to the kingdom. Say yes to the way I'm living. And just so you know, even if you read the text, go back and read it this week. Even Jesus knew how to come under authority because he said, hey, it's not my place to decide who has those seats. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to care about you. I'm, I'm coming under the authority of the Father. You know, we just went through this in our We Believe series. Jesus knew his place as well, and he came with a surrendered humility to care and to serve, and he just invites us to do the same thing. So there's real tension. There's real invitation. And there's a real community that Jesus is building. And the community of Jesus is everybody serves somebody. If everybody serves somebody, everybody will be served. Everybody will have a part to play. Everybody will be valued and exceed their value. Everybody serves somebody. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we were worshiping today, I just found myself thinking over and over and over. How do you serve when you're spent? How do you serve when you're spent? How do you serve when you feel like you've got nothing in the tank? I think that's what makes this so hard. Sounds nice. 
But it is really hard to dig deep when there's nothing left to dig. When you've dug everything inside of you and you feel like you're spent, how do you do this? We've got to come again and receive and receive. It's not just come follow and follow in your own strength. It's not just, hey, follow me, and then like one time we interact, and then you do the rest of your life by yourself. It is come and be served by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit over and over and over and over again. Be filled by the living God over and over and over again. He alone can meet all our needs. It's receive and then follow, receive and then follow, receive and then follow. If you're empty, then come and let us serve you. And come and drink and come and eat and come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Be filled again and again and again. See, that's what I love about the Gospels is we see Jesus meet people, they encounter the kingdom, they have their needs met, and then they're sent. But we have to do this over and over and over and over and over again. If Jesus came to serve, he asks us to follow him that way. If Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, this is us at the vineyard. We have a passion that as a church we would say yes to Jesus and that we would be a community who are willing to give our lives as a ransom for many. As a ransom for many.